These are days of uncertainty, to be sure. Uh, that much we can be sure of in the midst of what we aren't sure of. Uh, these are days of uncertainty. For instance, there's some questions that I know uh, no few of us are thinking through even this morning. Uh, how much longer will the restrictions be kept in place? And what will that mean for, for so many? Uh, what will it mean for uh, certain businesses uh, to, to be phased in? And, and what does that really mean? What does that look like practically? And how, how will that go about? And what will the timetable be? How do we balance? How do we balance a personal liberties, personal freedom, and love of neighbor? Those th two things that sometimes seem in, in these strange times to be somewhat in, in conflict in, in some ways. And, and what will be the lasting effect? What will be the lasting effect of this whole pandemic and the global response to this pandemic? What will be the lasting effects of all of that upon us as individuals and as societies as, as a whole? We know well something of what it is to live in the midst of great uncertainty because of this global pandemic. But it's not just that. It, we, we all know, we have known, we have known what it meant to live in the midst of uncertainty quite well long before this all started. No few of us this morning had quite a bit uh, in, in front of us, upon our plates, weeks, days, months, years before all of this began. Career plans and aspirations gone sideways. Financial woes, relational pain, the delay that sometimes comes with waiting for the result from a medical test or a scan. We know the angst of uncertainty very, very well. And the Lord in His mercy and goodness to us speaks. He speaks to people such as us with hearts aching with uncertainty, needing to be calmed and grounded again. We're going to look at Psalm 91 uh, together this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn there with me. Uh, the easiest way I can tell you if you're, if you're flipping there now is just to open up to the very middle of your Bible. The Psalms in so many ways are the very heart of the Scriptures. Psalm 91 is where we're going this morning. Hear now God's Word from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways on their hands they will bear you up, 
lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me, in love I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these words. It is, it is a wonder to consider that for many, many years, your people were praying these words corporately together. They're in the temple, gathered together, and no doubt in the synagogues as well. And Lord Jesus, uh, it is a wonder to consider that really you are the author of this psalm, and you yourself in your years on this earth sung it. This is a song by you and from you and for us. There's so many things to consider here. We thank you for the richness, the richness of these words, the richness of this pro- these promises. We ask that you'd help us to hear them. Really, truly hear them, all the, the richness, the depth, the wonder of these words here in Psalm 91. Wherever we may be, wherever our hearts may be, wherever you are finding us this morning, help us to hear. We pray in your name. Amen. Some of you may know that this month marks the 50th anniversary of Apollo 13, the NASA mission back, again, some 50 years ago, that uh, was, has oftentimes been referred to as NASA's most successful failure. If you're not familiar with uh, the story, just let me give you a quick recap of, of what it was that happened. Two days into the mission, as the astronauts are heading out there towards the moon, two days into the mission, the oxygen, one of the oxygen tanks on the service module exploded, crippling the spacecraft forcing the crew to abort the mission, and then use the moon's gravity as a slingshot to make their way back to Earth. It is an extraordinary tale of, of human ingenuity, and yet also at the same time a stark reminder of the dangers inherent in space travel. Absolutely, absolutely so. It is no wonder then that the, the training then and now is so exhaustive. It is, it's no wonder that, that then and now that the, the systems, they, they, the NASA engineers build all these redundancies into those systems because, again, space travel is just in, it's inherently hazardous and dangerous, full of so many threats to human beings. Now, I don't want to push this too far, but it is safe to say that in many respects, that's not so different than life here on Earth. Life here on earth is filled with many hazards and dangers and threats as well. Physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. There are all kinds of hazards, all kinds of threats, all kinds of of dangers that that we face, every one of us. It It is not safe. Life 
in many respects is not safe. Well, with that said, where then can we go? In the midst of so, such a threatening world and so much danger all around us, where then can we go? Well, that then takes us to our text here in Psalm 91. And it is quite stirring in terms of what we read. And what the psalmist would have us to understand is simply this, that God alone is the one who can keep us safe. God alone is the one who can keep us safe. And so we must look to Him. He alone can keep us safe. And so we must look to Him. That's what we see here in this psalm. That's the, the core of the message that we, that we find here. Now, it begs some questions, though. What, what does it look like? What does it really mean to say that God alone is the one who can keep us safe? What does that look like? What does it look like for us to, to look to Him? Well, there are three things that we need to understand that are vital, really, for us to understand if we're really to embrace the significance of this psalm and saying that he, the Lord alone is the one who can keep us safe, and we need to, to look to Him. These three things in, in order. First, we need to understand our need. We need to understand our need. Secondly, we need to understand our source, who and what is our source in the midst of that great need. And then thirdly, thirdly, who is our hope? Who is our hope? So the need, the source, and our hope. So let's look at these three things in, in turn. First, our, our need and the threats that, that we, every one of us, face. Uh, you see that as, as something of an overview cataloged for us there in verses 3 through 13. I'm not going to read all that again. Uh, we, just, we just now did. But you can think of it in terms of, of a catalog of, of the vulnerability that we have, the needs that we have, threats from man and threats from nature, okay? Threats from mankind, other people, and threats from the world, fallen creation as, as well. And it's cataloged, laid out for us here in, in the psalm. So threats from people, threats from, from man. You hear uh, the, the mention made there in uh, verse 3, the snare of the fowler. Now, that's a reference here. It's meant to be symbolic, somewhat symbolic for the plots and schemes to ensnare and enslave Okay, that, that's really what that's referring there to. Threats from man, threats from, from arrows. Uh, that's referred to uh, there as well. And that seems to be a, a reference of pointing a symbolic image uh, towards assaults that can come upon us, whether by day or even by night. Again, threats of man. And so you, you see how, how exhaustive, how descriptive that is, and it's meant to capture something of that. But not just that. Again, but it's also is the psalm is, captures for us the threats that we face from nature, from the fallen world. And we see that represented in two ways, in creatures, hostile creatures, and then diseases. So creatures that are mentioned here. You go down towards the, towards the end there in verse uh, 13, you see mention made of lions and snakes, so threats in terms of strength and stealth that is waged against us, against those perhaps who might, the, the, the weak and the unsuspecting, right? And, and that could, could, be, could be a reference towards those who would prey on the weak and the unsuspecting, but it's also quite possible that it's simply meant to be something, again, a pointer, a, a symbol, a broader metaphor to stand for all the hostility representative in, in terms of the creatures that stand, would stand opposed to us within the midst of God's creation. But not just that, not just that, but diseases. 
diseases in the midst of this fallen world. And we see reference here to plagues. Plagues are referred to here and a pestilence that stalks in the darkness uh, there in, in verse 6 and destruction that wastes at noonday. It's quite a catalog, isn't it, when you think of it in those terms? You think in terms of, of the need that we, that we have, the, the vulnerability that we all have as, as creatures, as human beings, the catalog that the psalmist puts here for, in front of us here regarding our danger and our, our need. Now, how do we respond to that, the, the reminder of, of our vulnerability and our, our need? Well, oftentimes, this is how we respond, in, in one of two poles or maybe somewhere along those poles, but it basically goes like this. We respond either by flight or fight, fight or flight. In terms of fight, what that oftentimes entails is we, we hunker down and press on. We feel the need to, to do something, to analyze the problem, to strategize and organize. Fight, fight. Or, moving on the other pole, flight. Uh, flight, um, not so much hunkering down, but just pretending, wishing that these threats, these dangers would just go away and not so much doing something, but just binging something, you know, whatever that might, that might be, just wishing, wishing it would all go away, abdicating, medicating. And ultimately, those things will never satisfy whatever it is that we're thinking of here. The psalmist would have us to understand that it is the Lord alone who can meet our need. The, in the midst of all these needs that's been cataloged here in front of us, the Lord alone is the one who can keep us safe. And so we need to look to Him. That's the first thing, the first point. But that takes us right into the second point because in the midst of that need there, okay, with, with that in mind, who then do we need to look to? Who is our safety? Who is our solace, our salvation, our deliverance? And, and of course, the psalmist speaks to this as well quite pointedly in there in verses 1 and 2, which then set the stage for everything else that, that is said. Verses 1 and 2. So let me just read that again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It's quite extraordinary here what, what he's saying. Putting before us, I don't know if you caught this, but four names of God. Four different names of God, impressing that upon the reader, lest we miss it, hitting us, hitting us from four different angles. Or you could think in just of ter th terms of, of turning a jewel and looking at it from this angle and this angle and this angle. But in this case, it's no jewel. This is the Lord God Almighty Himself. And so you think in terms of the names that this speak towards His greatness, the first two, uh, the Most High and the Almighty speaking to his power and rule and reign over, over all things. But, but not just that, not just his greatness, but our reliance upon him. The Lord, the covenant God of Israel who has pledged himself to his people. And then putting it very personally, our God, my God, my God. So you get an element here of very individual, very personal, very relational. So the power and the personal, the, the, the reign and the, and, and the relationship here. And the, the psalmist doesn't want us to miss this. 
So he puts these, these four names of God in front of us, but, but going even further, we learn something not just of who God is, but, but what God is. And we have that just in these first two verses, again, these, these images that the psalmist uses to describe the Lord. And you see images used here of strength, of a shelter, and a refuge, and a fortress. And you think in terms of what those are and what they represent. Those are places of security and safety and rest. Those are places that you go in the midst of a storm or when you need a place to hide or when you're under attack. It's quite extraordinary, those images. But, but then something surprising comes. Not just these images of, of might and power and strength. You may have noticed I left one out. Shadow. And this is an image, when you rightly understand it, an image not of strength and power and might, but of tenderness and intimacy and closeness. Because if you keep reading past verse 2 and on into verses 3 and 4, you realize this is not just shadow in the sense of like shade, but this is in the shadow of your wings, as other psalms speak of. This is under the shadow, under the protective cover of a mother bird. It's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? The, the way the psalmist is describing not just who God is, but what God is and what he does, how he acts towards his people in these images of power and might, but also closeness and intimacy, the full corpus, if you will, of, of, of protection. So here we, again, we see with, these, with the names and the images, not just who God is, but what he is towards his people. And in all of that, we see the source, not just the, 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 um, the extent of our need, but the greatness of the one to whom we can go and the protection and the safety that we have in the Lord himself. Let me try and illustrate a, a point on this before we move into the application. So, no, no few of you know, I know, you're familiar with, with something of world history and especially in so much has been written about this in recent weeks because of the pandemic, the plague through the centuries, the plague was one of the most feared diseases that could ever strike in the heart of, of anybody because of the, it was just, just so deadly. And the way it would move forward through not, not just villages, but whole um, communities and states and nations and moving, knowing no boundaries, knowing no borders, and decimating populations, killing hundreds of millions over the course of centuries. In 16th century, excuse me, 17th, 17th century Europe, one of the interesting things that, one of the interesting responses to the plague was the plague doctor. The plague doctor. And what the plague doctor was, was known to do was to prescribe certain concoctions and witness wills and perform autopsies. But it wasn't so much the function, that's why we remember the plague doctor, but it was their strange and odd appearance. And I don't doubt some of you have seen these, the etchings of, of this and paintings of this. So it was an individual who'd move through the village with these long gloves and a long leather coat, but not just that, right? But this head apparatus, this headdress with this long beak. And you may be wondering, you should if you don't, what in the world was the beak about? Well, the idea was, because of what they thought the, the, the source of the problem was, they thought it was germ-filled air, 
And so if you could just put in the beak these herbs that were thought to protect the wearer, the plague doctor, from the germ-filled air, then those herbs put there in the beak as he's breathing these things, surely that would then protect him. That was the idea. Didn't work. Didn't work. Nor did their remedies, nor did their concoctions and cures. Now, why do I bring this up here this morning? For the simple reason. Because when you finally come to the point where you've rejected what you've learned and understood to be a false hope, when you finally come to the point in your life where you've rejected what you know to be a false hope, it can be very tempting to then think there is no hope at all. Let me say that again. When you come to the point where you are finally rejecting what has proven to be in your life a false hope, it can be very tempting in your despair and your dismay to think that there's no hope at all. But that's just not true. That's just not true. Now think with these this morning as to the things that have been exposed in your life and mine and everyone around us. The things that we could put our hopes in that are really actually no ultimate hope at all. Our health, our health is far more precarious and vulnerable than we would ever dare to think. Our wealth, your savings, your retirement plan, your investment portfolio, the value of your assets and all of that, your brilliant plans for the future, short-term, long-term, all thrown askew. And you see how those things are exposed as how vulnerable they can be. The answer there is not to despair of any hope. The answer then is to see who is our hope. The Lord himself, this one who is described as the shelter, the shadow, the refuge, and the fortress. He alone can keep us safe. We need to look to him. We need to look to him. Well, that then takes us to the third and final point as we come to grapple with something of how great our need is and how great the source is of our safety, this one who's promised to keep us safe. But what does it look like? What, who is, what is our hope? What really is our hope and how does that flesh itself out? What does looking to him to keep us safe mean? Well, we see that here in this psalm as well, and it's, it's in two parts. First, our relationship with God and our assurance from God. Our relationship with God, and in the context of that, our assurance from God. So the psalmist certainly speaks to our relationship with God. You see that here in verses 1 and 2. We read that just a moment ago. And he speaks of dwelling and abiding and, and trusting in, in the Lord. And then the idea being that the one who draws near to him can have peace with and in him. That's the idea here, verses 1 and 2. The one who draws near, who trusts, who abides in him, can have peace with and in him. That's the idea there in verses 1 and 2. That's the psalmist speaking there at the very outset of the psalm, setting the tone for everything that comes. But then what's interesting is not just when the psalmist speaks at the beginning of the psalm, but when the Lord speaks there at the very end of the psalm. 
Uh, Let's read now verses 14 through 16 again. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, you see the two sides of this relationship, right? The two components of this. On the one hand, you have the believer, the believer who is holding fast in love, who knows the Lord's name and calls out to him, right? And then on the other side of this relationship, you have the Lord himself. And if you go back and read those verses, you hear this beautiful, stunning, astounding, eightfold promise of care and, and, and compassion and, and keeping safe as the believer is looking to him. It's absolutely beautiful. I really encourage you to go back and, and, and look at that and look at it carefully and pray, spend some time praying over it. So that's our relationship with the Lord. That's, that's part of how this if you will, works. We have our relationship with the Lord, and in the context of that, we then also then have this assurance from the Lord. Now, what is this assurance? Again, put it more just quite pointedly, what does it mean for the Lord to keep us safe? Well, partly it, refer, it means his presence in trouble. His presence in trouble. We read verses 16, uh, 14 through 16 a minute ago. Let me read verse 15 right in the middle uh, one more time. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Did you catch that? The promise is not deliverance out of trouble, from trouble. That's not always what we're assured of, what we're promised of. The promise is... His presence in and through trouble. It's a crucial distinction we've got to make and keep clear in our minds. The promise is not deliverance from trouble, not necessarily. The promise is His presence in and through trouble. And you think in terms of of what the whole picture, the whole panorama of Scripture says on this point. We read from Genesis 50 earlier. Isn't that exactly what Joseph was saying to his brothers? What you meant for evil and what I experienced, oh, by the way, over the course of decades, that wasn't a lot of fun. God meant for good. God meant for good. Or what we read from Romans 8, all things working together. For good, God working all things, not just, you know, blandly, flatly, you know, kind of nebula, but God working all things, even hard things. You not just read verse 28, but you read there towards verse 35. All things working together for good. Hard things may be in our lives, but those hard things are assured to bring about an ultimate better good because because of who is ultimately at work. Or can I just point us one other passage beyond Genesis 50 and, and Romans 8? If you'll keep your thumb there in Psalm 91 and turn with me to Luke 21. Luke 21, uh, verses 16 through 18. Some really puzzling words from, from Jesus, but speaking to this point almost paradoxically. 
Uh, Luke 21, verses 16 to 18, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, you get that part. But not a hair of your head will perish. Okay, you're going to die. You're going to be put to death. You're going to be brutally treated. And not a hair of your head will perish. Well, I think that demands that we have a greater, broader, deeper understanding of what perishing means. And what it means, thinking in terms of Psalm 91, of what it means for the Lord to keep us safe. It doesn't necessarily mean deliverance from trouble. It can well and oftentimes does mean His presence in and through trouble. That's part of what the assurance is, but there's something else here. And, and the psalm, if, if you read it carefully, speaks to this as well. Not just His presence in trouble, that's part of the assurance, but also His salvation from judgment, which is even more important for us to grasp than the first part. So we uh, looked at or read earlier verses 7 and 8 there again. Uh, see what is, is so important to grasp here. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You'll only look at it. You're not going to experience it. Well, what is this he's speaking of? Well, what he's speaking of here, the recompense of the, of the wicked, is exactly what he's been talking about all through this psalm when he talks about the, the threats and the dangers, the pestilence, the plagues, and these judgments and all these things, the recompense, the judgment of the living God upon his enemies, upon any and all who will stand opposed to him, the psalmist is assuring us here that that will never touch us. It will never touch us. How can we know that? How can we know, how can we be assured of this promise that we will be forever spared of these judgments, of this recompense touching us? We can know that because just like the walls of a fortress or the wings, the protective wings of that mother bird, There is another that has borne the full force of that judgment in our place, and it's the Lord Jesus. Ultimately, it is Jesus who is our shelter, our refuge, our fortress, and who brings us under the shadow, the shadow of his wings. That's the assurance. Oh, this is so good. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope against the worst peril imaginable, the greatest danger, the greatest threats that you could possibly imagine to the nth eternal degree. Now, why is this important for us to grapple with? What the Lord's promise really is, what it really means for Him to keep us safe. Because one of Satan's favorite ploys is to deceive and confuse his people on this very score. Oh, if God loved you, he wouldn't let you suffer. If God really loved you, he wouldn't have let that happen. 
That's such an effective ploy, and he's so good at using it. It was one of the tricks he brought out of his bag to use against Jesus in the wilderness temptation. In fact, Satan is actually, you may have picked up on this, quoting from Psalm 91, misquoting it, and trying to to tempt Jesus to take another way out. Oh, if God really loves you, he wouldn't let this happen. You see, what, what happens when you misunderstand what the assurance of the Lord is at this point? What happens? Then when the pain comes, not if, but when, when the pain comes, you're going to pull out and give up. When all along, the promise was never to deliver us out of all pain and tribulation in this life, but to be with us in it and to take us, protect us from the worst of it the eternal worst of it. The Lord alone is the one who can keep us safe. We need to look to Him. Let me take you back to uh, Apollo 13 for just a minute as we're we're wrapping this up. Uh, Real heroism was on display there, absolutely to be sure. But not just by the crew uh, there on on that spacecraft as they were... Uh, enduring the long waiting and all that working and what it took for it to bring them back those six days uh, on their return trip. Not just the crew, but the men on the ground, the engineers back in Houston. Those astronauts, Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, Jack Swigert, were absolutely dependent upon their survival and safe return on the help and the assistance of the folks on the ground, absolutely, completely dependent upon that. So what does that mean? It means they would have been absolutely foolish not to lean completely into them such that they could get home. You realize there's a a parallel, a parallel there between us and the Lord every day, absolutely every day. Our need is, is that great. Our source is, is that great. Sure, as Psalm 91 says. And our hope is that good. That's the message of Psalm 91. The Lord alone can keep us safe. We need to look to Him. Let's pray for a moment. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you please help us to hear these words? Would you help us to know how vulnerable we really are? that we are not gods, we are creatures. We are not self-made or self-preserving. We ask that you would help us to be honest about these things and our need and sobered, to know how vulnerable we really are and to be quick to look to you, to look to the shelter of the Most High, the shadow of the Almighty, the Lord, our refuge and fortress, my God. We ask that you'd help us to know how vulnerable we are to be quick to look to you and to know your promise, to know and embrace this assurance to keep us safe, not in a simplistic, foolish, silly way, not in the way the world would say, but in a deeper, truer, better sense. We need to be kept safe. You alone can And so we look to you. We pray in your name. Amen.